I remember opening this letter and it just says, you know, you've been diagnosed with mitral valve prolapse. As soon as I saw that, I literally broke down in tears. I didn't understand what that meant. And when I Googled it, it said it was a heart condition. I said, what? I've got a heart condition. I'm like 22. What do you mean I've got a heart condition? I'm Sharmin Griffiths, Chief Executive of the British Heart Foundation and host of this special series of podcasts celebrating 60 years of pioneering research into heart and circulatory disease. As part of this series, I wanted to speak to some of our ambassadors and VIP supporters to learn more about their own personal health journeys and how the BHF's research has played a role in transforming or even saving their lives or those of loved ones. Hi there. In this episode, we meet the TV and radio presenter, Will Njogu. Now, Will is going to be very well known to many of the fans of our podcast and fans, of course, of the hit ITV show, The Masked Singer, as he was the host of the spin-off series, The Masked Singer Unmasked. He's also a really familiar face on daytime TV and can be heard gracing the airwaves on Capital Extra every weekend. So we're absolutely delighted, Will, that you've managed to squeeze us in today and really looking forward to the discussion. And Will, a big welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. What a big intro. I'm really happy about that. I love that. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Look at that. I'm happy to big you up. And um, of course, Will, thank you for making the time to speak to us today. So I wonder if you might just take us right back to that moment when you got your diagnosis. Yeah, so I'm 27 now. And I think I got my diagnosis when I was like either 22 or 23. Or well, I remember actually I'd finished uni about two years after that. And I went to the GP because I had a flu or something. I was like, oh gosh, I'm feeling so unwell. I um, went to the GP and when I got to the GP, the GP was like to me, your heart's being extremely fast because, you know, she put the um the heartbeat thing. I forgot what it's called. So bad. Stethoscope? <laughs> yeah, the heart. Yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> put, that <laughs> put that to my chest and we're like feeling my heartbeat and stuff. And she, she was like, your heart's being extremely fast. And I was like, oh, probably because I was, I've got a flu. She's like, did you run here? And I was like, no, I didn't run here. She's like, all right, we need to get this checked out, number one. Then she put um, the stethoscope to my chest and she was like, oh, I think I can hear a bit of a murmur. Let's just get this investigated. And I didn't really think anything of it. And then, you know, they, they, they referred me to like Harefield Hospital, which is not too far from me, actually. Um, heart specialist hospital and that took about that took a few weeks and I remember actually I went my friend came around to my area and we went to like a local pub and we were all queuing up for like our carvery and I was talking to my friend and they're like I was asking my friend oh yeah I went to the GP they said they heard, they heard like a murmur or something like that I don't know what that is and we thought it was like nothing and then some woman turned around and was like to me a murmur's not a joke you know you need to get that checked out <laughs> and I was like oh okay right cool fine um and literally a week after that then that's when I got referred to the Hereford hospital and all these you know cardiac chest checks ECGs um echograms and then that's when I got diagnosed with um mitral valve prolapse and I got diagnosed um this was a letter I received in the post so I got home from I think at that stage in my life I was in the very early stages of my career I was working behind the scenes at channel five as a um broadcast journalist forward slash producer and I got home and I remember opening this letter. Um, my brother was like, oh, you've got mail. Then I opened it and it just says, you know, you've been diagnosed with mitral valve prolapse. As soon as I saw that, I literally broke down in tears Gosh, in my yeah. living room because I just, I didn't understand what that meant. And when I Googled it, it said it was a heart condition. I said, what? I've got a heart condition. I'm like, I'm like 22. What do you mean I've got a heart condition? Um, so there was so much stuff going through my head at that stage in my life. Um then had to go for all these echograms and like um, these all these checks at Harefield Hospital. And I just felt at that period of my life, I felt so like un-22. Like I just felt so like, mm. there are literally like, there aren't any young people here. Like I'm not, 
Do you know what I mean? Like everyone around me in the waiting rooms was just really, really old. And I was like, am I dying? I think that's the question I kept on asking uh, the cardiologist. That's the, that's the question I kept on asking my mom. That's the question I kept on asking my GPs. Like, am I dying? Like, will I survive this? I didn't quite understand what this condition was. But as time went on, I started to learn more and more about it. Luckily, it's still quite mild. Um, um, so I don't have to be on really any me medication. And the, the cardiologist just just monitor it every single couple of six or four six months but yeah I think it took me time to really learn and educate myself yes there are symptoms I have I get palpitations here and there which I absolutely hate I would love to not have them thank you very much but I do I know what triggers them um <laughs> nights out trigger them you know too much vodka and, and too much beer but sadly I still do it and I still wake up with hangovers and population I'm like oh my gosh why did I do this to myself but there are other triggers there are so many triggers that I'm, I'm learning more about my body I'm learning more about my condition and I have learned um that you can live with this you can live with a heart condition and you know uh it's possible and I think I think when you are young and you get diagnosed with a heart condition you feel very alienated you feel like you can't do the same things as your friends. And I guess arguably, even still now, the reason why I still go out on nights out with my friends and probably drink as much as they do is because I'm like, well, I want to feel involved. I want to feel like I'm the 27 year old Will and Jove. I want to feel like I'm a mentor. I want to feel like there's an, it's only when, you know, if I drink too much, cause I don't always, but if I do drink a bit much and like, if it's only when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, well, I'm not like everyone else because actually my friends aren't experiencing these palpitations, only I am. So that's taught me actually to definitely control myself a bit more. But, you know, it's, it's all part of a journey. It's all part of a lesson. And I, yeah. I think, I think if, I got, if I got diagnosed with the condition a little later on in my life, I would have been like, oh, we'll just scrap all the fun. Well, I've lived it all. But um, I, I guess at the struggle at the moment is the balance of trying to be a guy in his 20s, living, you know, in the TV industry and a guy who's got mitral valve prolapse. But thankfully, we thank God that, you know, I'm still alive. Um, and my GPs, my cardiologists are like, you know, you're still fine. It's still very mild. Yeah. They're like, you can drink, but not too much, as you know, and as I do. Um, so, yeah, I guess I just, I, I constantly want to speak about this stuff and allow young people to know that, gosh, I know, like, it could be a bit of a ball ache at times. I know it can be so annoying. I know having a heart condition in general could just make us feel like, oh, gosh, we're so left out. But, you know, um, it's possible to live with. It's possible to do it. Well, thank you for being so generous and sharing that experience and how it felt as well, and um, um, and how to balance those nights out in moderation and, uh, and or to. not. <laughs> so, um, tell me a little bit um, about the condition, if you wouldn't mind. So, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what a mitral valve um, prolapse is, would you mind sharing what you understand about it? What What do you? Um, yeah. So, from what I know, that it means that my valve is a bit leaky. That's all I actually know at the moment. But I know that the fact that my valve is a bit leaky and um, that means that it triggers just certain symptoms um obviously the main symptom that as i said earlier kind of affects me the most is the heart palpitations really um and sometimes anxiety as well um and i guess the heart palpitations when my heart's being really really fast i start panicking and sometimes panic attacks and all that stuff um, sometimes headaches as well um, but the main things are heart palpitations and anxiety for me personally and looking after yourself um, sounds so important. And I know many oh, so uh, young people who've gone through that diagnosis and will perhaps come back to this, who felt that kind of sense of isolation and not seeing other people around them with that yeah. have, have felt what you've described as well. But tell me a little bit about your family, because you're clearly close. You've spoken about your brother already. How did yeah. they respond? Because it clearly floored you. It must have them as well. Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, my mum, because um, I'm the youngest out of six brothers, my mum was extremely, well, quite worried, actually, because she just... 
we just I'm extremely close with my mum. I love my mum. She loves me like where I tell her everything. She knows everything about my life, and she always says she always says she always says it to me. She's like, you know, you're my baby. So I guess you know, hearing your baby has got this heart condition, which she didn't understand what it was either, is extremely frightening. So she was more nervous than anybody else really. She's like, what is it? What does it mean? Um, at the beginning, I wasn't able to tell her, but she kind of tried to stay strong for me and with me to make sure that I wasn't panicking, even though I knew she was frightened. Um, so she, but then you know, as time went on and as I educated her when I was getting educated, she started to calm down and just understood that, all right, cool, you know, we just need to make sure we take certain protocols to make sure we're not making it any worse. And, you know, if there's medication that needs to be taken, you take the medication. My brothers were fine with it, you know, um, I educated them as well. I think, look, this stuff comes down to education at the end of the day. I think it's very easy to hear, oh my gosh, you've got a heart condition, and think, oh my gosh, are you going to die? Because obviously, you know, our heart is such an important organ in our body. But actually, I think once people get educated about some of these conditions it doesn't mean it's a death sentence it just means that yes you might have to change certain things in your life but you know um you can still live and be happy and love people I still go for my weekly Sunday roast with my family and my mum and we're smiling every Sunday and we're you know I do have the cheeky beer not too much but I do <laughs> and you know I'm, and I'm still able to enjoy my life um, yeah. with my family and my brothers and I think that's the most important thing so um I think they were all a bit nervous in the beginning but with education they all relaxed and clearly you look fantastic. You're um, clearly looking after yourself and learning as you've described about your body and your journey as well. Are you on any particular medication or are there any particular things apart from keeping everything in balance that you have to keep an eye on yourself? Yeah, I'm actually not on any medication at the moment. Obviously the way um, MVP, as I call it, <laughs> I've given it a nickname. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm on this Facebook group for people who have got it because I've yeah. not met anyone else. And everyone's like, oh yeah, you got MVP. Yeah, I've got MVP. Um, <laughs> yeah, but for MVP, oh, well, for my MVP, basically. Sorry, MVP is the condition, but just abbreviated for anyone listening. Um, yeah, but for my MVP, it's because um, it's mild. I've not got to be on any medication at the moment. However, there are people in the Facebook group who are more on the severe MVP and they do have to have medication. But what I've learned actually with this condition is it can progress over the years. I'm aware of that. So it can, like this leaky valve now can become even more leaky in 10 years, for example. So that's the reason why the cardiologists at Harefield are monitoring it constantly. I have also seen people in the group chat say that, you know, I've, been, I've had this for 25 years and it's still not progressed. I think it depends on your body and who you are. But no, I'm not on any medication at the moment. And fingers crossed I won't be in the next 20 or 30 years or so. Fantastic. Well, um, fingers crossed for you too. And I love the uh, the fact of the MVP. We're going to take that definitely as, <laughs> yeah. a, as a, a club as well. Um, so you obviously you've spoken about your family, but clearly you were at that stage in your life at the very start of your career. Sounds like you're already having fun and, and an industry that you loved even then. So have you told people about that within your career? Did you did you tell people you work within your colleagues? Um, do you know what? I don't think it was anything I ever shared because I never really wanted to be a burden number one. So before I was working on camera and on air, I used to work like behind the scenes as a production forward slash broadcast journalist. And there would be time in the newsrooms, for example, where, well, this is actually very bad because back then I didn't realise that energy drinks were bad for me. <laughs> they are extremely bad. So when I was working <laughs> at Channel 5, I get so bored. I'm like, oh gosh, let me get some sweets and energy drinks and whatever. And 
when I take literally only two sips of the energy drink, my heart is going. And I'm, I'm in the newsroom, I'm like, guys, I need to take a break, I'm going to take a break. And people didn't really understand why. People thought I was overreacting. People were like, and I think up to this day, I don't think I ever really explained to people what was going on with What's me and with my body. And there were times I'd go away, I'd drink lots of water, I'd get fresh air, because I'm like, I feel like I'm going to die, I'm hyperventilating. And because of the heart palpitations, I'm then getting anxiety. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my life's ending. And that's what it does, actually. It makes you think you're about to die. Even though you're not, it makes you think you're about to die. So you start thinking about all these things. You start getting quite depressed. So that happens to me regularly at work at those stages of my career, especially when I was drinking energy drinks. And then I stopped drinking energy drinks. But even after that, every now and then, I'll still get the few heart palpitations if I'm like overworked or whatever. And um, I never really told anybody because I didn't really want anyone to think, oh gosh, he's not fit enough to do this job or whatever. And this was even before I was on air. Um, but I do think that it got to a stage in my career, even when I was working behind the scenes, and I said to myself, look, I want to be on air, on the radio, on camera one day. So I need to kind of manage this a bit more. I need to speak to my GPs and ask them what I can do to manage my heart palpitations so that I'm not on, I'm not live on TV, and, you know, my heart's being pumping fast and I'm, you know, having a hyperventilating and all this stuff. Right. And I've actually, man I've dealt with it for, for my whole on-air career. I've dealt with it perfectly fine. And a lot of the things that I do is like, if I'm going to be on TV, for example, oh, I'm on TV for the whole of this week on Good Morning Britain on ITV. I just won't drink. I just won't touch alcohol. Even if it's a social drink that's almost like, I won't even have one. Yeah. Because I just know that alcohol, too much of it is a trigger. So I won't even want to have a sip because I wouldn't want that to get in the way of this career, which I've worked so hard for to get here. Um, and it works fine for me. Like I don't have palpitations just like that randomly anymore. Thank, fingers crossed. I exercise a lot now. Um, I go for jogs. Um, I go for long walks. And... Yeah, I mean, literally, these days, the only time when I get palpitations is when it's self-inflicted, a.k.a. If I've gone to a friend's birthday and I'm like, oh, I'm only going to have one, and I've had a few. But, I mean, even then, the palpitations will go after about, like, an hour or two in the morning, even though it's, like, you know, I still should be having them. But I now know how to control it a bit more. Yeah. So, yeah, in terms of telling people at work, no. But when I did, I did decide to work with the Victoria Derbyshire show on BBC Two, and I did a short documentary about my heart condition and that's when everybody basically found out and people were like oh my gosh I never knew this I never knew this I never knew this and I was like oh well I just didn't really feel the need to tell anybody well I, it's out there now it's out in the public domain it's out in the media yeah. people know this it's spoken about it um well my heart well before and I just think for me personally yeah I think that was a big step for me because I'm glad that people just have it in the back of their minds that if that if anything happens or if I was like let's just say on tv or whatever or speak out with friends people will down to the all right maybe he's you know maybe he's having a bit of a palpitation episode so i think speaking sometimes can really really help do you know we've heard that from so many people um our brilliant ambassadors and vips and um, celebrity supporters that we've spoken to on this podcast series that actually talking to people about it and how you're feeling makes such a big difference whether that's family or other people going through that experience so it sounds like that's been really important to you as well and you've had it sounds like great support from your family and loved ones as well around you so uh, yeah how wonderful to to hear i was going to ask if um clearly doing the victoria derbyshire show which was fantastic and really um you know insightful and powerful um you you've clearly met a number of people who've had heart conditions as part of that and following how did that feel to meet other people with um uh, cardiovascular conditions it was surreal because as i said like at that point again i was like what 23 i hadn't met anybody this that was the first time in my life where I started 
investigating, exploring this world of young people living with heart conditions because it was ever so internal for so long because I was just living my life with my family, my friends, and not really sitting down and asking myself, have I even connected with anybody who's going through what I'm going through? So that's why I really wanted to make that film. Uh, so as part of that journey, we, me and this, the BBC camera crew, we went to, to Yorkshire to meet the parents of a 24-year-old boy, Daniel Wilkinson, who collapsed and died on a football pitch. At the age of 24, he had an underlying heart condition, which he had no clue about. And I spoke to the parents. And again, they were devastated. They were confused. They didn't understand why he had a heart condition at the age of 24. Um, and I guess I was able to relate to them in that sense where I was like, well, look, I I didn't know. A lot of young people don't know because we don't think of it as a thing. We don't think, all right, I've got a heart condition. I'm 24. I could. We don't think of it as like a possibility. So that was a really surreal and emotional experience. And when I met them, I kind of felt like I was talking to my parents in a weird way. I was saying to myself, touch wood, but if I died, if I collapsed and died, I'd almost be like, I was almost like face to face with my parents. This is what my parents would be saying. They'd be like, we just never would have expected it. So that was like a weird experience for me. And I just almost felt like, felt, I felt like they were my parents. Like even when we went to film, they were, they offered me a tea and, you know, we had biscuits and it was such a cozy chat. And yeah. I think they almost saw a bit of Dan in me in a weird way as well. So, you know, it was lovely to meet them. And then after we went to to meet a lovely woman called Lorna in Yorkshire, who, again, lived with a heart condition she had no clue about, but she just collapsed. And I think her heart stopped for five minutes. But she didn't even see it coming at all. There were no warning signs, nothing. Again, she was young. I think she was like 25 or 26. And she just thought, when she got back from work, she worked at a vet's and she just thought, oh, you know, I'm probably a bit lightheaded. I'm going out for girls in a bit, whatever. Then her girl was at the doorstep and she was like, oh, I'm feeling a bit dizzy. I'm going to get ready. Then as she was walking up the stairs, she collapsed. And that's when her friend called the ambulance. And when I spoke to Lorna, she was quite tearful and quite upset, actually. And she just said to me, like, I didn't think it would have ever been a possibility for me. I didn't think that actually I would have ever had something like this. But I found out like that because I collapsed. And the day she was like, the day before I was feeling perfectly fine, the years before I was pe feeling perfectly fine, and all of a sudden I collapsed. And I guess meeting these people really taught me that we really need to listen to our body, listen to our bodies. And, you know, if, if, if anything is out of line, this is the way I am now. If anything is out of line, I am booking a point with my GP. I want to know the answers. I want to hear an opinion from a medical professional because like life is too short for you to just not check up on these things, you know, it's extremely important. So uh, meeting them all really just told me that, look, we really, as young people, we need to be vigilant too. We need to be aware. We need to be aware of our bodies. We need to listen out for these symptoms. And if we genuinely do believe that we are experiencing such symptoms, then we need to get checked. Wise words. And it sounds like that yeah, had a really profound impact on you and a really powerful watch as well. So um, coming back more to today, obviously now five years on from your diagnosis, you're having, it sounds like you're having a fantastic time looking great in that green suit in on TV this morning. I'll tell you, it's rocking it and clearly um, thriving and learning to listen to your body. Um, how are you feeling today? And I guess what have you learned about the journey you've been on? What have you learned about yourself? Um, I've learned how to control my anxiety more. I've learned how to control my heartbeat more. 
Um, and that's important, actually, as a TV presenter, especially when you're um, about to go on air and you, you you might have the nerves. Well, you will have the nerves. And your heart's beating fast. And sometimes there's time off. In the earlier stages of my career, when I was doing the Jeremy Vine show, my heart was beating fast. I was, like, I was saying to myself, is this the MVP? Are these the palpitations? Or is this just anxiety? Or am I just nervous? So there's all these things <laughs> you just connect. And sometimes I just, I talk to myself and I say to myself, breathe in. Breathe out. I'm okay. I'm not going to die. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. And when I talk to myself, when I tell myself this, I calm down. And I'm able to go on TV or the radio and deliver my legs perfectly fine and be myself. It's taken me a long time to get here because of the MVP. Because I, I, sometimes I don't know whether this is the, the heart condition, whether this is the anxiety, whether whatever. So sometimes I get so confused and so stressed out by trying to understand what is going on with my body. That, yeah, it, it can at times become a bit much, but... In recent years, I've learned to just really, I've learned techniques to calm myself down. And a lot of it actually really is anxiety. A lot of it isn't the MVP. FYI, and I, I, there have been times when I've had panic attacks and I've called the ambulance and everything and they, they do ECGs and I'm like, I think I'm dying. And they look at me and they're like, you're perfectly fine. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with this. ECG is fine. Your heart rate's fine. But I do think that sometimes knowing you have a heart condition at times can give you that extra anxiety and can make you think like, right, if my heart's beating fast now, then this could mean I'm dying. So yeah, like I've learned to deal with that. I've learned to almost in a weird way, use my brain to control my heart rate. Um, and that helps me big time in my career because I'm now able to control my nerves, my emotions, my anxiety, and do the job that I've always dreamed to do to the absolute best of my ability. Um, so like I said, it, it, took, it took a while to get here, but we've arrived. And we thank God. And you're clearly very successful at it. And thank you for sharing your tips and hints for anyone who might be leading to control their nerves as well. Clearly, COVID-19 has been a cause of concern for many people yeah. with heart circulatory disease, given the connection. How's this last um, year or so been for you and your family? How's it oh affected you? Oh, my goodness gracious me. It's been hell. This last year has been hell. I definitely say that we've come out on the other end. I'm feeling much more better. Like, everything's fine now, but it, the, the year was hell. Because I was diagnosed with COVID um, last year and oh, it was so silly. I was so stupid. I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. Um, I was a bit irresponsible in the beginning. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be very honest and open. I've, I've said this before. So in about March times when they were talking about COVID, I was like, oh, whatever. Like, it's not that deep. It's probably going to go in a bit. It's not whatever. And this was the period when for Capital Extra, I was, cover I was like the Love Island correspondent I was going to all these Love Island parties. I was interviewing all these Love Islanders. And look, again, I love being in the mix of it all. I was in being invited to all these high-profile showbiz parties. I was all up in the clubs in Mayfair, partying, stumbling in taxis home, drunk, getting the paparazzi, taking my pictures, all of that jazz. I was just living life to the fullest, really. Um, and there was a certain party I went to. It was a Love Island party. All the Islanders were out. First, we went to this... Lovely, you know, we, we were all sat on the same table. There was the dinner served to us. There was like an award ceremony. And then there was an after party at this award ceremony at the Savoy Hotel in central London. Nice. And then the Love Islanders were like to me, oh, well, you know, because we're Love Islanders, we get all free VIP entry into tape in Mayfair. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go to tape in Mayfair. That <laughs> club is popping. Um, and then we all went and we got into taper in the VIP. We're partying it up, we're living it up. Like I was living my best life that 
I'm so sorry. I know I caught COVID, but that was <laughs> that was probably the best night out I've been to in my life. But at this point, no one really thought COVID was going to get that serious because we were like, oh, it's right. probably like a thing that like they talk about in the news and it just goes and whatever. Anyways, living it up, whatever. Like, not like yeah, of course, talking to people, hugging people, whatever, kissing, maybe, who knows? Um, <laughs> oh, detail, Will. Come oh, on. Oh, all the detail, all the gossip. And then, well, I slept in World Cup. And the next, this next day, that was on a Saturday night. This next day on a Sunday, I had radio from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. And I woke up. And this time I didn't have the palpitations as usual. I was like, all right, well, I think we've escaped it. We've cheated death then, haven't we? But... I had a tingly throat. And I said, oh, this feels a bit weird. Like I've, now, I've not got the palpitations today, which I'm, I'm this is a bit shocked. I, considering I drank so much, I've not got any palpitations, but my throat's just really tingly. Like, and then I start coughing. Oh, come on, like, this can't be anything. There's no way I've caught coronavirus. This whole thing they've, talk, they've been talking about on the news is just like, ridiculous. Anyways, went to radio. And when I got to radio, I realised that there was a rash along my neck and my chest. And so my producer said to me, there's a rash on your neck. And I was like, there is. I never get rashes on my neck. I never get rashes. I'm just like always so, like, other than MVP, I always, like, I'm always so healthy. And I, then as the show started to progress, I started to get this, like, headache. And I'm like, right, I feel a bit weird. I said to my producer, can I pre-record the last hour and just go home or get medication? Or if I feel a bit unwell. And then the palpitation started, but later than usual. I'm like, this has nothing to do with the hangover then. This is just a very separate thing. Anyways, I was like, I'm not going to go to the hospital because sometimes that takes long. Let me go home and sleep. Went home, slept. I woke up at 3 a.m. with night sweats. The palpitations were doing a madness. I was coughing like crazy. I said, right, I'm ill. I'm unwell. I'm, this is, I'm unwell. I didn't really think of COVID until I woke up and I could not get out of my bed. I was, I couldn't. I was sweating. I said I was cold. I needed to put the heater on in my bedroom. I'm looking at my bed now as I speak about this because I'm like, I just, I will never forget how ill I was. I was wearing a pink t-shirt, not this pink t-shirt, but I was wearing another pink t-shirt. I took that t-shirt off. I was wiping my head with the sweat off. I said, what is going on? And then I looked at my phone and the BBC breaking news was like, you know, COVID cases are worsening. I was like, oh my gosh. I Googled the COVID symptoms and I'm like, right, I think I've got this. From a Love Island party. From a Love Island party. And I was like, and, and actually in that point, I was like, it was not worth it at all. It was not worth it. And, and because of that then triggered my heart palpitation and the palpitations did not stop, FYI. And they did not stop for days. They were going on in my sleep. They were going on when I was awake. I was literally going through absolute hell and because my heart was beating so fast for literally like almost 72 hours, I had to call the ambulance because I was like, well, this hasn't stopped. Like usually if I go out for drinks and whatever, I'll get palpitations. They'll last for a few hours and they'll go. But this isn't leaving. The ambulance, because COVID was so like new then and everyone was getting it, the ambulance literally took 11 hours to reach my home. Gosh, they literally, they, they, they came into my bedroom. My brother, well, my brother opened for them and he couldn't come into my room because he didn't know what, what on earth I had. They came into my room, they tested me, they just said, look, you have uh, the symptoms of COVID. So they've, whatever, um, I then, they then sent me one of those um, uh, home test, test kits and I got tested positive. Obviously couldn't go anywhere, couldn't leave. I didn't know how I was going to turn out. At that stage, I was seeing so many news stories about people dying. You know, distant family relatives were dying. 
friends were talking about how their uncles were dying. It was just literally like, everyone's dying from this and I'm literally diagnosed with it. What on earth is going on? And I've got this heart condition, my heart's pumping. I'm like, if I don't, I was like, if I don't die from COVID, then I'll die from my heart being worn out because this is ridiculous. Like my heart's working too fast and it's been working too fast for, for 72 hours or whatever. Um, but weirdly enough about my COVID experience is that three days it was intense. But on the fourth day, things dropped dramatically and the palpitations just stopped. The sweat stopped. And then I started to go back to normal. I then started to have lung pains, but then all the other symptoms went. And then literally on the fifth day, I was basically fine. But obviously I still had it, but I was basically fine. I didn't feel that bad. Um, so that was literally hell for me. So after I recovered from that, I was so scared to do anything. Anxiety was like, I'm not, I don't want to go through that ever again. So I'm not going out. I opted to do my radio shows from home. This microphone I'm doing this podcast interview from now is because Capital Extra posted me a microphone to broadcast live from my laptop from home strictly because I personally could not fathom going into central London and possibly even getting COVID again. So that happened for months. And, you know, in recent months I have gone back. But, you know, it was difficult for me. I actually think, out of everything, actually, when I think about the flu, okay, the headache was terrible. No, the headache was bad. The worst thing for was the heart palpitations. Yeah. Because when your heart is being extremely fast for days, you genuinely believe you're going to die. You, there's no other thought. There's, you're just like, well, am I dying or not? Like, what's going on? And are you feeling all right now? Have you fully recovered from COVID? I feel amazing. Yeah, some people, unfortunately, do have the long COVID symptoms where they... Yeah experience things months after but I feel perfectly fine I feel absolutely amazing um obviously look, I did call it good morning Britain today I'm getting up at 3am every every day you look amazing considering you had to get up at 3am thank you yeah I don't know how I'm even stringing my words together I got for 3am this morning <laughs> after that went for breakfast went shopping bought a new suit for tomorrow stay tuned <laughs> nice <laughs> what colour come on Will what colour is you've got it? to wait and see oh come well, on well, okay right between me and you it's, it's red Nice. It's like red wine, red, and I love. I just loved the color, and, and I've been doing this thing, and all the producers and directors are like, "Oh, what color are you coming with tomorrow?" Um, but yeah, like I had a really good day today. I'm just feeling great, really. I have no, like, like I said at the moment, my symptoms MVP. I don't just have them randomly anymore. It's very much self inflicted, and when I do have the symptoms, I'm like, "Well, this is your fault. <laughs> it will go, but it's your own fault." So I don't just have the symptoms like that anymore, which is almost a blessing because I know that when I have the symptoms, it's my own fault. And it's not just like coming out of the blue and surprising me when I'm live on TV or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling amazing. I'm feeling really happy at this stage in my life. Wonderful to hear. And you're clearly such a positive guy with such a, a positive outlook on life and really driven in your career and enjoying what you do as well. And you've shared and been so generous in sharing, I guess, your experience and your journey and how you felt about that. Um, is there anything else that you've learned about yourself in this, uh, through this last five years, um, in particular following your diagnosis, anything else this journey's taught you? Um, to just enjoy life, really, and enjoy every moment because... As I said, because like this, like MVPs led me to have so many like heart palpitation episodes and like anxiety attacks. And, and I just want to live my life to the fullest because actually when that was happening, it felt like the world was caving in. But now I feel extremely happy. So I just every single time I just peace is the most important thing to me in my life. Being at peace with things. And I think as human beings, we forget how important it is 
we, we forget the value of peace. I think it's only when you don't have peace for an intense period of time when you're extremely anxious or nervous or you're, you're having palpitations. It's only when you're in that time frame when you realise actually how important peace is and how much you could just do with peace. So that's what these last couple of years have taught me, the value of peace and really just like embracing it. And even in like the quiet moments when nothing bad's happening and I just look at myself and I'm like, at this present moment in time in my life, I've got peace. I've not won the lottery. I'm not a millionaire, but I'm, I've got peace right now. My heart's not beating really fast. I'm alive. My family are here. I'm happy. Friends love me. Career's going well. I've got peace. And it's about embracing those moments and just being like, you know what? It's these small moments that even though it's nothing to us, it's everything actually. Because when I have when when I have those episodes, and and I've had <laughs> countless episodes, is when I feel like the world's caving in and I'm not going to survive and I'm going to die and I feel like crying. But actually, when I'm out of that, and even now I'm in this state of peace, my heart's not beating fast. I'm just happy, and that is something that I've learned to cherish after that diagnosis and having all those episodes. I love that, Will, your sense of gratitude. And I agree that I think life's a short little thing and you have to enjoy those moments and and uh, just love that sentiment. Um, so when I'm going to wrap us up by asking if there's anything that you would say to someone else, another you know young person who's finding themselves being diagnosed at this moment with a heart condition, what would your advice be to them? What would you say? Just to understand that you are valued, you are important to try your best to just keep on pushing through um and just be positive as well and try and find peace in any negative or scary or uncertain situation try and find peace some people are spiritual so maybe it might be a meditation thing or going for a walk or religion i'm christian personally so i pray a lot you might just want to go for a walk in general if you're not religious you might just want to think you just might just want to take in deep breaths and just one thing I've learned is breathe in for a few seconds and push out and breathe out for a few seconds. That really helps as well. It helps your mind. Just try and see the positive in every negative situation. You are unique. You are the way you are for a reason. There's a beauty in that. Don't see it as a bad thing. Love it and embrace it. Be yourself love that will thank you and um do you know will it's been such a pleasure to speak to you today and to get a sense of your journey and you've been so generous in sharing um what you've gone through and how that's felt and your wisdom and advice as well as well as um your your passion for what you're doing and clearly you're having a brilliant time in life at the moment so thank you it's been an absolute pleasure and i'd love to thank you as well for being such a great supporter of the british heart foundation your support means everything and um it's a big part of what we do and our connection with people so thank you for making time for the podcast today absolute pleasure to speak with you and uh, i've really enjoyed it and thank you so much for having me the british heart foundation is celebrating 60 years of saving lives through pioneering research over the years we have invested millions into heart valve disease research with recent projects focusing on improving the detection of faulty valves or developing a new generation of biomechanical valves thousands of people in the uk have heart valve replacement every year and many benefit from the research and advances made possible by the BHF. 
As we celebrate our 60th birthday, our eyes remain firmly fixed on the future and what we hope to achieve over the next 60 years. We want a cure for heart failure, better treatments for stroke, ways to prevent vascular dementia and so much more. The BHF have been part of breakthroughs like heart transplants and pacemakers, stents and clot-busting drugs, and our goals for the decades ahead are even more ambitious. If you would like to fundraise in honour of the BHF 60th and be part of helping us continue to save lives, then please visit bhf.org.uk forward slash birthday. For more inspiring stories from our high-profile supporters and our patient community, please listen to and follow the ticker tapes on the BHF website or wherever you get your podcasts. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. I'm Charmaine Griffiths. Bye for now. The stories, recollections and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our special guest and not those of the BHF. If you, our listeners, have any health concerns, please seek advice from your GP or health professional. For more information about any of the conditions discussed in this podcast, please visit BHF's website, bhf.org.uk.